All right. And with that note, off we go. Um, This is the last installment of our marriage sermon series that we entitled Once Upon a Marriage, Biblical Principles for Real Relationships. And over the course of this sermon series, just to recap, um, we've, we've seen a lot of things and we've explored a lot of texts. In the first installment, we went all the way back to the book of Genesis and Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what we discovered there set the tone for what we've been talking about since. You know, God created men and women in his image. He imprinted his DNA, his very substance, into both men and women. And together, we more fully represent the image of God. And God means for us to be in relationship with one another. You know, God is three in one. God is unity and diversity. And God also wants us to uh, enter into relationships in such a way where we are looking at this other person and realizing that they are in the image of God, they have God's very substance in them, and that we should treat them with that same kind of awe and reverence and wonder and love. Then, the next week, we talked about the ladies. It was all about the ladies and what it meant to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And the title of the sermon was For Women Only. And we learned that women, godly women, do not find their identity in culture. They don't find their identity in the mixed messages that come from our culture that tell you what it means to be the perfect woman. The godly woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, finds her identity in God and God alone. And the Proverbs 31 woman exudes the shalom of God. I mean, when you see her, you see the very grace and mercy and love of God. You see the peace of God and the kingdom of God at work. Then last week, we focused on the fellas, and the sermon was for men only. And we looked at Malachi, this wonderful passage of Scripture, where men were called to faithfulness. You know, God says in so many words in that passage that life and worship are intimately connected. And for us, guys, to really and truly worship God with all that we are, we're called into faithfulness in our relationships, to our wives, and to our family, and all that we do. Now today... We're going to be exploring a passage of Scripture that has caused a lot of controversy in the church. It's caused division and dissension among Christians for a very, very long time. And it was one of those passages of Scripture that I've preached on before, but I never really felt like I did the Scripture justice. Because I needed, and quite frankly the rest of us needed as well, to hear a female voice speaking on that particular passage of Scripture in addition to a male voice, because it is about men and women. And Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be today, and the title of our sermon is He Said, She Said. Now, I asked the most qualified person that I could think of uh, to come and to speak with me, and that was my wife, uh, my wife Meredith, who's going to be team teaching with me today. Now, she was very, very reluctant to do this, you know. I mean, you know, I think the words Victoria Osteen were were mentioned in our conversation. (laughs) Not in a good way. And not in a good way, right? (laughs) So so she was reluctant to do this, but but I, I felt really strongly, I felt a burden from God that we needed to have this done this way. Because, ladies, you know, you need to hear from somebody that speaks with your voice, um, at least, you know, a female voice, um, maybe not your opinions and your, your background and your interpretation, but you need to at least hear from somebody that's like you on this passage that affects you in, in such an integral way. And guys, you need to hear that from me as well. You need to hear my perspective on, on what I see in this passage as it relates to guys. And so we're going to be kind of doing this together. Um, but before we do, 
We, we need to get into a learning mode, all right? And, and we're going to be sort of moving forward into learning mode in just a second, and we've got something for you to do that with. Okay, so everybody, and ladies will remember this better than men, what is the worst date you've ever had? Share with your table the worst date you've ever had. This means you guys have to talk to each other. The worst date you've ever had. And hopefully it's not with your spouse, although mine is. <laughs> oh, we're not sharing that date. <laughs> oh, okay. Skip. All right, you got about 20 seconds. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> Jacob, you've never had a bad date? Oh. <laughs> and they've all been wonderful. Love. <laughs> Exciting and new. Okay, so I have a question for you. How long did it take you when you were on that date to figure out that it wasn't happening for you? <laughs> Not very long, right? It didn't take, so for, I mean, for some of you, it was like instantaneous. Like as soon as you met the person, if it was a blind date or, you know, whatever, or, you know, it doesn't take very long. And the reason why the, that it doesn't take very long usually, now there's always exceptions, but usually the reason why it doesn't take very long to figure that out, that it's not happening for you with somebody, is because, you know, we deep down inside, we have gut instincts about what's wrong and right in relationships, at least as they relate to us. You know, we, we know deep down inside what isn't going to work for us. Now, I was doing some research this week, and I decided I wanted to find out some of the keys that, you know, are outside of the biblical, outside of the Christian realm. You know, like, what does the secular kind of culture think about long-lasting, healthy marriages. And I found this great website that's actually a resource for social workers. Apparently, it's important for social workers to be able to identify the keys that are present in healthy and happy marriages. And so we're just going to really quickly go through these, okay? The first one was both people are truly happy, optimistic, and they're problem solvers. Second, they're financially more secure. You know, it doesn't mean that you're out of debt, but you just have a little bit more financial security. Third, they're educated. They're a little more educated than the average bear, okay? They find new ways to renew, quote-unquote, quote unquote, and, you know, there's, there's a lot that can go in between those two quotations. The spark, okay? Number five, healthy, healthy involvement with children and grandchildren. That's, uh, we should have underlined healthy. And then sec- the sixth one is don't criticize and reject each other. Number seven is they have more than gotten through problems. They've triumphed over them. So they have stories to tell about triumph and the way that they've overcome adversity in their relationship. And the last one was the one that was most interesting to me because it says it's a wild card. 
that almost all of the healthy, happy relationships have a wild card, something that's really hard to define uh, as a group, but individually um, they have this, and it's a highly personalized reason for being happy. Now, the way that I see it in terms of Christian culture and the way that we should understand things from a biblical point of view, that Christians have this wild card. It's our belief in what the Bible has to say about how to have a happy and healthy marriage. Now, we need to understand that. And so what we're going to do right now is we're actually going to read from the Bible. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, and Meredith is going to start reading for us first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's key, and we'll come back to that. Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) Submit to your husbands. I'm just teasing. (laughs) Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I'm going to say something, and you can choose on your little notes to agree or disagree with this. But this is probably the most challenging passage of Scripture in all the Bible that deals with marriage or relationships. You can agree or disagree. You know, it is challenging. And a lot of times, this passage of Scripture has been misused and abused. And there are a couple kinds of ways that it's been misused and abused. You know, there are some people that decide they want to take this passage of Scripture and have it reflect their worldview. And their worldview and the way that they think about things is that women are not as good as men. That men are better than women in every way. There are people who have this patriarchal kind of construct and they want the Bible to back that up and to support it. And so they take this passage of Scripture and they lift out what they want. They forget the rest. They take it what we call out of context and they do violence to the passage of Scripture and quite honestly do violence to the gospel, the good news of, the God, of Jesus Christ. Then there are folks who go into this passage of Scripture to impose their will on it because they decide that it shouldn't say any of those things. And so they they either choose to ignore it altogether and gloss over it as archaic and something that doesn't need to be acknowledged, or they try to say that it's saying something that it's not. Okay, And so you have a couple of different ways that this has been misused and abused. But you cannot take this passage of Scripture out of its context. You just can't. Paul was writing to a specific point in history. And quite honestly, and here's the thing that's hard for us to grasp, because some of the language in here can be misconstrued and can be taken to seem like it's archaic and kind of chauvinistic. But in Paul's day, 
what he was saying to people was revolutionary. It was blowing people's minds. Because in every piece of ancient literature, just about, that talks about male and female relationships in the construct of marriage, it always says that wives need to submit and obey their husbands. Submission and obedience were linked together in every form of, of contemporary cultural literature and understanding of marriage in Paul's day. And so for Paul to simply use the word submission, which is a voluntary act and one that we're going to talk about in just a little while, you'll see is full of grace. I mean, for him just to say that was absolutely revolutionary. And quite honestly, it undermined the family values of the Greco-Roman culture that surrounded him. And for him to say to men, you have to love your wives, that was unheard of. I mean, th- that was not part of any of the responsibilities or duties that were listed on, for men in marriage. And quite honestly, you know, they sort of didn't want that to be part of it. They didn't want to even think about that. There was a guy I read about, his name was Amelius, and he was married to a woman named Papiria, and he divorced her for no reason. She was a beautiful woman. She had given him several children. She was honored and respected in her community. People thought well of her, and he divorced her. And they asked him why. And this guy took off his shoe and he held it up and he said, is this not handsome? Is this not new? But none of you can feel where it pinches my foot. And like an old shoe, he cast her aside for no reason because love was not part of his equation. Now, I love this, this, ver- or this little saying that you'll see here in your notes. Love takes on its noblest forms when it is spelled concretely in terms of self-surrender, sacrifice, and holy design. Now, this is going to be the foundation of what Meredith and I are going to be talking about today. Self-surrender, sacrifice, and holy design. And it begins in verse 21. Verse 21 sets the tone. Verse 21 says, and Paul is speaking to everybody here, all Christians, submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Now, we don't bat an eyelash at that passage, do we? When we read that, we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. You know, we should be submitting to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. In reverence to himself, oh yes, that's absolutely great. Then you hit the next verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And suddenly, everybody lines up on opposite sides of everything. What Meredith and I are going to be doing now for the rest of the sermon it's going to be a conversation between us and you guys. Um, I had some questions that I posed to Meredith. And within the context of those questions, I'm going to be lifting out some things that the guys need to hear as well. But what we've come to understand is that there's a third way of, of really interpreting and focusing on this text than the other two ways that we've basically outlined. Now, in your notes, you're going to see at the bottom, there's a whole list of, th- of stuff that you should know. Now, we're going to cover that. We're not going to go through that point by point. But if you want to, later on, you can go back and you can pick up the CDs next week. And quite frankly, if you've missed any of these, the CDs for the last two weeks are back there. Pick them up. You can listen online. And you can take your notes and you can sort of go through these and and just see where we talked about them and how we lifted each of these out. But we're not going to go point by point. This is more or less going to be just a conversation. And the conversation is going to begin with a very, very important question that I had uh, for Meredith. And that was, why are you so reluctant to be up here today? <laughs> um, well, I'm really mindful of the fact that there are people in this room that have forgotten more 
about how to be a godly wife and have a godly marriage than I know. So I want to be really careful that all I'm doing, and so that you know, all I'm doing is sharing what has come from my time of study, my time of prayer, um, and my time with my husband. So these are my thoughts and my feelings, and I really encourage all of you got ladies afterwards, if you have any different ideas or interpretations, please share them with me. Um, so I just, I, I want to be real careful that, that you guys understand that that's the, that's the place I'm coming from. Also, you know, I talk to people for a living. I'm an attorney, so I'm not nervous about talking to people, but this is a really um, personal personal time, and it, it, it's, been a, it's been a road for me to get where I am, frankly, and so it's, it, it's kind of hard for me to share it. But I did it because I'm a submissive wife. <laughs> I had to beg. <laughs> That's not true. So, so why, why, why do, do women, and, and why do you think women, um, and maybe why do you, perhaps, if you struggle with this text, I mean, wh- what's, what's the problem? I mean, what, what are you struggling with in terms of, of this, this text that we just read? Um, before I start, you should know that I knew what the questions were going to be, but he didn't know what my answers were going to be. <laughs> so he'll know for the next service, but he doesn't know for this one. Um, this is one of those passages, I think, that is used like a Bible dart. You know what a Bible dart is? Like you just pull out one little scripture or one little part of a scripture, you just throw it at somebody, and you say, oh, that's the way I want it to be. And I think that this is one of those Bible dart passages that men have taken to try to, um, not just men, culture in general, have taken to support a patriarchal view that women are less than men, which we know is completely unbiblical and not supported by by anything in Scripture. Um, And and I think for that reason, you know, we've got to remember until 1920, women couldn't even vote. They couldn't own property. Um, you were, you were a piece of property. You belonged to your father. And if you were lucky enough that some man wanted to marry you, you belonged to your husband. And if you didn't get married, then you'd belong to your brother after your father died. I mean, this is kind of the culture that we came out of. And there's women in this room that can remember a time when you weren't really allowed to have a choice about anything. So when you've seen, when Satan has taken what should be a great relationship between a man and a woman and turned it into that, then it's only natural that now as women we see that, that word and, you know, we're defensive and, you know, we tense up. And instead of actually thinking about, well, what does the Bible have to say about what my marriage should be like, we look at what Oprah has to say or Dr. Phil has to say or our girlfriend in the next cubicle has to say um, rather than looking at the Bible because we don't want to deal with the harder issues. Yeah, and I think for, for, for men, and I'm speaking for myself here, and I'm, I will have the same caveat. I mean, I, I struggle with this text when it comes to the man's point of view. Um, there are 41 words to just, to, that Paul uses to exhort women in this passage and 116 words to exhort men. Okay, so, you know, the onus is on the men in, in many ways in this passage because what they're being asked to do is impossible. I mean, I mean when, you, when you see in the text, and that's what's challenging to me, because I see that, and it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What did Christ have to do, you know, in order to, to ransom the church? I mean, he had to lay down his life, and not just lay down his life. He had to lay down his pride, his dignity. He had to lay down everything that men basically hold dear and hold on to. He laid all of that down so that he could be a ransom for the church in humility and in patience 
and, and all the things that, that you can see there. And, and that's the thing that I struggle with. It's like, how do I live up to that? How, do, how could I love my wife in such a way um, that I could be like Jesus, you know, that I could give of myself? I mean, there's not a guy in here probably with your, with your, if you're madly in love with your wife or, or just sort of madly, um, you know, then, I mean, but, you know, I mean, if somebody threatened her or something, was, I mean, you, you would, you know, you'd take a bullet for her, you know, but that's different than the everyday sacrifices that we have to make. And that's the challenge for me in this passage is that I struggle with that to try to live up to the example of Jesus, you know, and to be that kind of man. Um, so when it comes to the, the actual word itself, I know you started doing this thing when I say it. So what is it about that word that is so difficult and hard to put your arms around if you're a woman, the word submission? Well, um, you know, I think we have that knee-jerk reaction to the word, and we really need to think about, okay, what does it mean? And so uh, in the past, and again this week, I was doing some study about that, and I want to share that with you guys. First of all, it does not mean, it does not mean that your husband bosses you around. It does not mean that you are a lesser person. It does not mean that you have to follow your husband into sin. It does not mean that you have to put up with physical or sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse. You guys need to hear me so clearly on this. I was horrified to learn that the statistic right now is that one out of four women in marriage are subject to physical, emotional, verbal, or sexual abuse. One out of four women. And what's even scarier is that statistic is exactly the same in Christian homes. Mm. In Christian homes, one out of four women are being subjected to abuse. So it does not mean that. What it does mean, and this is so key, it means that you, out of reverence to Christ, this is the big part, not because of who he is and what he does, but out of reverence to Christ and what Christ did for me, that I am willing to put his needs above mine. And that's a voluntary decision. That's, that's a key thing. It's a voluntary decision. It, it means that I am willing to consider your needs before my needs. That's what the submission passage is. And that's the word that Paul used. And as Leon pointed out, he did not use the word obey. So, what is, so in, in terms of that, I mean, what is the difference do you see in, in between submit and obey? Well, the obey, the obey part, which, you know, we, it's been kind of a traditional wedding vow that's always beautiful, you know, love, honor, and obey. He does not use that word. He only uses the word obey in the context of children to their parents and slaves to their masters. And he's purposeful about that. Nowhere in the New Testament does he or Peter or anyone writing about the responsibilities of a wife to a husband use the word obey. Um, obey means reacting out of fear or because you have to. Submission means I'm voluntarily putting your needs before mine. That's a really, really key difference. So what is the most challenging, what has been the most challenging for you, I guess, or most challenging part of this, do do you see, um, in terms of the whole submission and the whole, I mean, how is that, how is that Well, for you? Well, my mother, your mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, your mother, um, is one of my heroes. And I remember when I was about, 14 or 15 years old, we were sitting around a kitchen ta- your kitchen table, and she said to me, the hardest thing about the Christian life is learning to die to self. And by that, she meant the hardest thing is to realize that it cannot be all about me, 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 me. And the hardest thing for me in 
the marriage context of submission is the same thing that's hard about all of our Christian life, and that is that we have to put others' needs before our own. You know, God gave each of us an individual personality, and some of us, you know, we're very strong-willed, and we like to get things done, and our opinions, I mean, all of us, right, you have an opinion, you think it's the right opinion, um, you know, you want to do something, you want to do it your way, um, these, in all your relationships, this is what we're kind of pushed by, and having to step back from that in a marriage and learn a way to show, here's what I think, here's my opinions, here's my input, and then step back and, and let someone else make that decision or make that decision together and not always get your way is very, very hard. It's the, it's the challenge of Christian life, and I think that's why Christ has, in, in God is instructing us to live it out in marriage, you know, this whole concept of putting others before yourself. Yeah, and I, and I think for, and so for guys, you know, when we're looking at this passage of Scripture, you know, and you see that you're being called to self-surrender and sacrifice, and that it is part of the holy design for marriage in relation to you. You know, so for men, you know, when, when you see that, you know, what Jesus did for the church was he laid down his life. He not only laid down his life, but he continues uh, to care for the church. He continues to minister to the church. He continues to sanctify the church. I mean, there's all these things that Paul is saying that Jesus does for the church that you're also to be doing for your wife. I mean, this isn't just something that you do once for all. It's something that you're doing constantly. You know, you're doing it all the time. You know, and it's so easy for guys, I mean, it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in our own stuff. You know, I mean, I mean it is for, for a lot of people, but I think I, mean, I struggle with this. I mean, this is a struggle that I have. You know, become focused on what I need and what I want and what I want to do. You know, and, and to be able to, to step back from that a bit and to realize that I'm not the only one in this relationship. But even further, I have a much bigger responsibility, um, at least in the way that it's presented in the text, than, than my wife does. I mean, my responsibility is that I not only have to die to self, I've got to be willing to surrender myself. And I've got to be willing to sacrifice what I desire and to be able to do that for her. And that is a challenging and difficult thing for us, but it is what we're called to do, my brothers, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a holy design. God designed this in a certain way. Now, sometimes there's a struggle that occurs here within the text for some women because they're afraid of losing their identity. So what would you say to someone who says, I don't want to do this because I don't want to be consumed by another person and lose my identity? Um, I think that the, a, a lot of people see an older or more traditional um, model of marriage to be where a woman just kind of sits over in the corner and, I don't know, cooks and cleans and follows her husband's instruction. And we made that up in our mind, and so when we hear this kind of submit, we think that that's what it's about, and then we feel like we can't be ourselves. But it's not about that at all. You will find your identity when you submit out of reverence to Christ because that's where our identity comes from. I mean, we're given all these messages about how we should look. You know, that's, that's what's important about being a wife is that you have a clean house and that you look pretty. Or what's important about being a wife is what you do. Or what's important about being a wife is what other people say about you. Or what's important about being a wife is how I'm, you know, pleasing you to please you. But the truth is, our real identity is found when we are willing to say to God, okay, look, the only way I can show you how thankful I am for everything that you have done for me 
is out of reverence to you, Christ, I will submit to my husband. And that's hard. That's a hard thing to do every single day. But you will find your true identity because you're focusing on Christ and not on yourself. Because all those other things are false. Believing that your identity as a woman is how you look or what you weigh or what you do or how clean your house is or what your husband does, those are all false identities. Our only true identity is in Christ. And I think that if we have Christ as the center of our marriage, that's a true uh, way to find your biblical identity. And one thing that needs to be pointed out, too, is that Paul specifically focuses on the marriage relationship. He doesn't say women submit to men. He says wives submit to husbands. He doesn't say, you know, you know men um, you know, love women as Christ loved the church. He says husbands love your wives. This is a specific conversation about relationships within the construct of marriage. You know, so it does not apply uh, to all male and female relationships. You know, so this is something that, that gets abused, you know, by a lot of Christians who take this and, and they want to apply it as a blanket to all manner of male and female relationships everywhere. You know, and so for folks who are concerned and guys who are concerned about their identity, they're like, well, you know, am I, I mean, what you're asking me to do is, is to basically give you my man card. You know, remember the man cards from last Sunday? You're, you know, that's what you're asking me to do. I'm like, no, you know, you're, you're, you're not giving your wife the man card. You're giving Christ the man card in the context of your marriage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just within the marriage that you decide that I'm going to be more than what I am anywhere else. I'm going to be the real person that God has called me to be. I can be manly, and I can also be self-sacrificing. I can have my identity as a man and still surrender all of what I have and everything I am to, to my wife out of reverence to Christ, as Meredith was mentioning. So how does this look like in your life? Um, well, we talked about how being submissive does not mean that I put aside who I am. So, you know, God has made me good at some things. And I, I have ideas and I have opinions and I have thoughts and I have things to add. And so in our daily life, we have a cooperation. I mean, you know, if we're presented with a problem or presented with an issue, we hash it out. We hash it out based on, you know, what your strengths are and what my strengths are and what your knowledge is and what my knowledge is. You know, working together perfectly as a unit when we're doing our best job, which is not every moment, but when we're doing our best, we're working together as a unit um, with you respecting me and me respecting you. And there's this give and take that when it's accompanied by prayer and it's accompanied by serious intention, it ends up that that's how right decisions are made and that's how, you know, the happiness of our marriage comes. But I cannot, um, you know, I used to hate this passage of Scripture. I hated it so much that I didn't even want to listen to Paul at all. I don't know if you, did you ever know that about me? I did not. Yeah. No, and I, I really... Um, you know, I, cause, because I had all those ideas, like, you know, does this mean that I just, you know, sit in the corner and serve you food? And, you know, what did it mean? But what I've come to see through this, this prayer and this thought is that in our daily life, I bring my strengths to the relationship, but I can't ignore the part of the passage that says that my husband is the head of our marriage. I don't like it when Christians do that, when we take out things through the Bible that make us uncomfortable. That's not right and it's not fair. So I have to, at the end of the day, pray 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, because sometimes that's all it is, is the power of the Holy Spirit, because I cannot do it in my own natural self. Pray, give my input, and then occasionally, when we disagree about something, we do what he believes is the right thing to do. And I know that might surprise some of you guys, like, who kind of know me. Um, I've, I just told you it's been a hard road, ladies, but I've gotten here. But, but this, is, this is really key because at the end of the day, I have to listen to my Lord's instructions about how our marriage should run. And I cannot get away from that instruction. And I will tell you that every single time that we have done what he wanted to do, I'm not going to say every time you were right, but every single time that we have, we have followed Leon's instruction, God has been more and more and more honored in our marriage. Because that is me ultimately saying out of reverence to Christ, because of what Christ is to me and in our marriage, I will follow his instruction. And it's no promise that every decision is easy or that every problem is overcomable. But the promise is it is your best shot at having an excellent marriage if you follow these instructions. So I I just want to remind you guys, ladies, the power of the Holy Spirit can come on you like in seconds. You know, if you're in the middle of a fight, you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, completely change the tone uh, right then. So, you know, you're not going to get this right all the time. You're not. But if you pray and you try, you'll find yourself getting it right more and more. And then you have the best shot at an awesome marriage that we have. And, and I, I need to, to we'll add, I want to add some things and then close, okay? Um, but one of the things that we need to say is that there are some, and I said this last week, there are some relationships that are so toxic and people that are so toxic together um, that this is not happening. You know, these things are not, are not happening. And so if you're being abused, if you're being verbally, emotionally, uh, spiritually, sexually, physically abused, get out. Just get out. Um, and, I, and I'm just, you, you heard that from your pastor. Get out. Um, you know, and, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about, you know, at all cost to myself, physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, etc., that, that I'm going to do these things. You know, so we need to say that. But the other thing that we need to say is, that, is, is quite simply this, that not all forms of submission should be seen as weakness. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we kind of do, is we see it as a weakness. It's identified as a strength here. It takes great strength and courage and faith and grace and mercy and a gift to give to somebody to submit to them. The second thing we need to understand is that not all forms of headship not all forms of what we see here, you know, that the husbands are called to do and to be, not all forms of that are tyranny. You know, I mean, it's, it's the onus is on me and how this works in my life is that I realize, you know, that, that I need to, to, to be conscious of the fact that I'm called as a man, as a husband, as somebody who's following Jesus, I'm called to treat her as though she was Jesus. To treat her in, in, in such a way as, as, you know, that I'm caring for her and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to love on her. I'm going to treat her with the awe and the reverence and the wonder and respect. And then I'm going to lay myself down for her. I'm going to give whatever it is that I need to give in order to, to make it happen. You know, I'm, but that's the onus is on me. So that's how it looks in my life. So there are very, very few times that I feel led to say this is what we're doing. Um, you know, but when I do, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like, this is it. You know, I mean, and, I'm, and I, I will say that, you know, but I don't do it in a way like, you know, it's my way or the highway. 
Um, you know, it's, it's a loving you know, act that, that, we, you know, that, that I do and I say. And I, I know it may seem kind of weird because here we are. You know, she's a successful woman. She has her own business. She's a lawyer. Um, she's, she's got, you know, she's you know, on all these count, the foundations and does, I mean, she does way more than I would ever dream of doing. She's much more capable in so many ways than I would ever dream of being. And still, she manages to nurture our kids and to put up with me. And so, you know, out of, out of respect for all that she's able to do and all that she's doing and all that she is and how much I love her and care for her, I mean, that's, that's why I do what I do and that's why I give myself up. And I don't always get it right. I mean, there are many days that I'm, I'm just as absolutely as selfish and self-centered as I could possibly be. But like you said, the power of the Holy Spirit can come over and redeem those moments. What I wanted every person here to, talk, to walk away from this sermon series was simply this, that, that you now have the tools. You have the tools in the Bible. And, and, if, and if you're feeling like I'm just starting on this journey and I need more, then, then, then dig deeper. You know, I'll be happy to give you more resources and more equipping. You know, but this is who we're called to be, brothers and sisters. If you're not married yet and you're thinking about getting married, then you need to follow these biblical principles and you will avoid a whole bunch of pain if you've been married for a very long period of time and things are just not right then start following these biblical principles. And let me tell you something, it's going to transform and redeem your marriage. If you have been married before and you've decided that you're never going to get married again, you know, all the stuff that you've been able to learn, you know, during this sermon series, you can take that and put it on the, the example that you had and you can share that with somebody else, with a, with a sibling, with a, with a coworker, with your own child perhaps and be able to give that to them. This is one of those sermon series that we all can put our arms and our minds around. So I hope that it blessed you. It certainly blessed us as we went through this together. And, uh, and so with that, I will say hallelujah and amen. We're going to pray, and while I'm praying, um, I'd like to invite the band up. I know we ran a little late, but you know what? Man, it's church. You know, let's have fun. And, uh, you know, so don't be in a hurry, right? All right, let's pray. Good and gracious God, uh, we are so grateful for your word and so grateful for the truth in it. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just not uh, let your word return to you void as you promised. That it would go out and it would, it would transform lives, it would transform marriages. That people would be uh, made new. Um, that those things that were broken would be restored. And Lord, I pray uh, fervently that those who are here um, would just receive your Holy Spirit uh, in, in a double measure, Lord, that they would just be transformed by the, by the power uh, of your Spirit to go out into the world and to be your hands and feet. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.